0: They seen it early on just because of his explosiveness, even his rookie year with the Bulls. They realized, yeah, this kid is special. Like, we, we drafted the right player. And his game continued to evolve each year, it took leaps and leaps to the point where he was averaging 36, 37 a night, facing double teams, which is crazy. Something tells me that Brady orchestrated this. Grant basically said, I'm in. Something about Tom Brady, who seems very calculated, he's smart, he wants to have as many safety blankets and weapons as possible. This is a revenge season for him, whether he admits it or not. This is the season where he proves to himself and to others that he can win without Belichick. We're gonna definitely get to some fan questions. If you could join a team from any era, which would it be? Ooh, a good one. I might go to the Cavs team that lost to the Bulls. Oh
1: yeah, that team was really good. 90s
0: Knicks would have been cool. Ooh, that would have been fun. Welcome to the 106th episode of Pull Up. That's right, 106 episodes. Hope everyone's doing well, as well as they can be, staying safe, continuing to practice social distancing while staying out the way. I actually went to FedEx today, mask on, gloves on. I was the only one in FedEx. It was a great trip, quick in and out. Felt like I was getting a taste of the real world again, Um, being able to drive my car, leave the house, all those things. But we have a lot to discuss on this Episode of the pull-up pod. We have a lot to discuss from Gronk to the WNBA draft to the NFL draft that's happening on Thursday to so much more. I know Patriots fans are, are definitely saddened by this news that Gronk has decided to return to the NFL, but only, only if he can play with his pal, Tom Brady. Jordan, did you see this coming?
1: Absolutely
0: not. So
1: this thing happened really fast, CJ. And the reason I'm so surprised is because, like, you think about Gronk and everything that he's been doing since he retired from the NFL. And obviously WWE, a lot of commercials, looks like he lost a ton of weight. And he's obviously been through traumatic back problems. So I'm surprised as anyone that he came back. And what's crazy to me is, like, He doesn't play a year, and then all of a sudden, he gets traded. It's just so strange.
0: I knew he was really hurting and and needed to step away from the game when he turned down a guaranteed $10 million. He had $10 million left on his deal. He decided to walk away on top and was really enjoying his life. He was doing his cruises. He was doing his fitness camps. He got the Gronka fitness working in full effect. And I think he had just signed a deal with the WWE. So he was in a position to really explore all of his post-retirement options then suddenly I think the phone rang a certain certain someone was on the other line asking begging pleading what will it take for you to come back and Gronk basically said if we can get the Patriots to trade me I'm in
1: you think Brady hit him up and was like I'm with it if you're if you're with it and then Gronk was like I'm in just get me to Tampa
0: something tells me that Brady orchestrated this for sure there's There's something about Tom Brady, who seems very calculated. He's smart. He wants to have as many safety blankets and weapons as possible. This is a revenge season for him, whether he admits it or not. This is the season where he proves to himself and to others that he can win without Belichick. I think we've talked
1: about this, but now I want to hit it again. Is more pressure on Belichick, or
0: is there more pressure on TB12 to win this season? I think TB12. I think they both both their legacies, for the record, are solidified. Like it's it is what it is. But I think TB twelve he goes to the Bucks. He has all these weapons, more weapons than more weapons than he's probably ever had in his career. From receivers to potentially a running back, depending on how the draft goes, they got the fourteenth pick. They could do whatever they wanted. They can get a running back in the second round. They got tight ends. They have a lot of weapons, whereas the New England Patriots are under the radar. There's not a lot of pressure on, on Belichick. This is supposed to be what's considered a down year. I think Vegas odds has them at about eight and a half. I've gone on record saying I'm taking the under on that. I think this is the year they surprise people. No pressure. They go under the radar, and, and if they have a great season, then it's, it's like New England did, New England always does. They won when they weren't supposed to. This year for Tom... If he doesn't win games, people are going to be looking at him like, hmm, he's not what he once was. And I think he understands that. He knows that there's a lot on the line, which is why there's rumors that he was at a park yesterday. (laughs) In Tampa. (laughs) Yeah. Someone said a 30,000 square feet uh, place he has in Tampa wasn't enough. He needed to go to the park to tighten up.
1: Can you imagine, like, you're just walking around a park and you see Tom Brady
0: working out? I think I that has got to be a hilarious sight because I'm picturing him sneaking in, like trying to jump over the fence and, you know, going <laughs> going in with his mask Going Like, did he wear mask and gloves, like to get in upon entry? Like, how did that go? And did he think that he was going to get away with it once someone caught him? Did he think he was going to be able to, uh, you know, I'll give you a jersey type of thing if you, if you don't say anything?
1: I don't think so. I don't think so. But— you know with it with him anything you know you, you never rule anything out but you know what's crazy is like you think about Tampa Bay and they were 7 and 9 last season the bucks were and and i think if i'm not mistaken all nine of their losses were by eight points or less obviously Jameis led the league in passing but he also became the first quarterback to go 30-30 and he broke the record for pick sixes so if you can eliminate a third a quarter of those turnovers, which Brady will, then isn't that worth at least three wins? And then you think about adding Gronk, and who knows if they keep OJ Howard, but they have two 1,000-yard receivers. They have Ronald Jones, who's a nice young back. I'm sure they'll get another one. The only thing they really, really need is a left tackle, which they can address in the draft. And they brought back JPP and Shaq Barrett, who led the league in sacks. So, They have all the pieces. Plus, I think Bruce Arians is a really good coach, and he'll tailor the system more to Tom Brady than, say, Belichick would have.
0: Yeah, I mean, when's the last time Tom Brady won less than nine games in a season? I I can't remember. It's been a long time. No, no. So I think he he knows what it takes to win, obviously. He has the weapons around him. They were close with Jameis. I think he puts them over the hump with decision-making. Not that he's a better quarterback right now head to head I think from a decision making standpoint taking care of the ball game management Tom is a mastermind at doing those things and I think we'll we'll see that on full display this upcoming season like you said before if they went 7 and 9 and lost essentially every game by 8 points or less I don't see why they won't win three more games 10 and 6 seems very very fitting for Tom Brady in his first year obviously they're who we'll have to work the kinks out because they're not in camp right now. They would be together, you know how Tom is, working on stuff, throwing to each other, being able Timing, to yeah. being able to really understand checks at the line of scrimmage, the reads, and they're missing out on all of this. But the only advantage they have is that the rest of the league is not together as well.
1: More pressure. I, I put this on Instagram, I'm curious to get your, your take and Twitter too. The responses have been pretty varied. Is there a better chance of Gronk winning comeback player of the year or Brady winning MVP?
0: Gronk winning comeback player of the year because there's too many there's too many elite players in the NFL who are going to put up video game numbers. Like, Lamar is going to have another video game number type year. Mahomes is going to have... Like, think about it. If Mahomes doesn't get hurt, 50 yeah. touchdowns. He's, he's yeah, throwing for at least 50 touchdowns, right? 40, 50 touchdowns. Yeah. Low interception ratio. Crazy amount of passing yards. And then you have some running backs who will be in that running this year, especially my buddy from Carolina who's going to put up crazy numbers again. So I think... Brady will have a good year, but I think from a numbers standpoint, there's there's players that are going to put up numbers that you can't deny from an MVP type of uh, situation or scenario.
1: Did you see the new uniforms? We got Chargers, Patriots, Falcons, Browns, some pretty nice stuff. I thought the new Chargers uniforms were some of the cleanest I've seen in any sport at any time. They had that basically paying homage to the past with a nod toward the future. They're just so unbel- – they're, like,
0: unbelievable to me. Like, if I was a player, I, I might sign with the Chargers just because of those. <laughs> Off of the jerseys. Not 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 because they're in California, but you would just come well, with the Well, you, you
1: consider all of it. I mean, they play in Carson, which basically is a glorified high school stadium if you haven't been there. But they are in L.A. They got incredible uniforms. I like Anthony Lynn. Pretty dope.
0: I like their uniforms. I could say out of all those, I think – the Falcons were underwhelming. Their, their uniforms are pretty underwhelming to me. Yeah. Um, but I think once you actually get everyone out there on the field, running around, it may my opinion may change a bit. But I, I, I definitely like my Browns jersey as as you've seen last uh last podcast I had it on. I'm a big fan of that. Going back to the retro. They look similar um to, to jerseys in past years, but I think that little splash with the with the stripes on the on the side, give it that, give it that uh that flair, that classic flair that we're looking for, like the Bernie Kosar era. No, you don't
1: want, you don't want anything Bernie. You want, you want Jim Brown.
0: Hey, man, Bernie was a dog. If, if Baker can play, perform at a level similar to Bernie, we'll be in a we'll great position.
1: It's amazing as you see me wearing my blazer red and black. It's amazing how, like it. how uniforms look good when you're winning. Like, it can change. If you're losing, uniform looks slow, it looks tired. All of a sudden, you pick
0: up a few wins, and it's like that's kind of nice. Yeah, it's true. The jerseys that we had this past season—you know—we've experimented with cream, we've done gray, uh, we've we've gone back to the 1977 jerseys, and I think they grow on you right away. Some jerseys are just fire, but sometimes it takes time for the jersey to grow on you. You see it on TV; it looks different. You see it on the contrast as as a comparison to the other teams you may be facing or playing against. And you start to grow a, a greater appreciation for the jersey. So I think it's going to be cool that once everybody has them on, you, you buy them, you start going to bars, and you start to see them. They'll grow on you, similar to those sleeve jerseys we had back in the day in the NBA. They kind of grew on us. and Yeah, but
1: didn't, like, I remember Braun talking about the sleeve jersey Feeling like he was restricted. It was like a straitjacket.
0: And I remember him pulling at his jersey all game. Yeah, he ripped his the sleeves to give him more freedom. But he's, he's also uh, abnormally muscular, you know, like 260 nah. to 280 pound guy wearing a t-shirt jersey. Just didn't seem right for him, but he still was able to get through it. We have to give a Fifi update. I have to give a Fifi update. Fifi yes, has been yes. doing tremendous She's been sleeping a lot. She's been using the bathroom outside. She's destroying my grass. I've come to the conclusion that uh, dogs peeing in grass isn't great for it and it it changes the color of the grass. And basically, it makes it yellow. Yeah. Yeah. And I have patches, yellow patches uh, all throughout the yard now, which is, I guess, the. The exchange you get for having a dog, it comes to the territory. But she's been doing great. Using the bathroom outside, we're excited about that. We've been going on walks. And she's getting better. She's opening up more. And we're, we're getting closer to that, that two-month, that month and a half, to two-month period to where she starts to realize this is her home now. And she's happy about it. Is she growing a lot fast? Like, she's gaining weight or no? Yeah, she's. we haven't weighed her in, in three weeks. But she looks to be at least 40 pounds now at this point. She's at least 40. She was 33 three weeks ago. So she's at least 40, I'd say 40 pounds is safe because she's getting heavier, she gonna be, longer. She'll be well over 100. I don't know. Maybe. If we keep feeding her like the way we are, she eats a lot at night. And after her walk, she eats a lot, drinks a lot. And at night she gets hungry. So we leave some food, uh, we leave some food in the cage for her. And she chomps on it, you know, throughout the night. Well, speaking
1: of night, uh, the other night, Sunday night, we had... The Last Dance, parts one and two. And uh, first impressions for you were what?
0: I was just so happy to watch something new on TV besides what I watch on Netflix that was involving basketball and the greatest player to ever play basketball. I was just excited like it was a game day. You know, I I got a pregame workout in. I baked some deep dish pizza. Shout out to the league for, for setting that up. That was beautiful in the last dance. The pizza was amazing. I'll post it on uh, Twitter. It was sensational deep dish. I had a cheese version as well as a, a, a pepperoni version. Put some peppers and onions on it. It was great. But I think the storytelling aspect is what I really enjoyed most, how they set the scene early. You know, You have the storytelling of Mike in his North Carolina years, how he wanted to go back to school, uh, but Dean Smith made him go, essentially. Uh, how they made him seem like a human being, reading reading the letter uh, that he wrote to his mom, having his mom actually read it out loud, like basically, like, I only got 20 bucks left. Uh, stamps. Um, tell everybody I said what's up, can you send some stamps? All those little stories, the Scotty Pippen situation in Arkansas, like where, where they have Bill Clinton talk about what it was like to watch Scotty at a D2 NAIA. I thought everything they did was, was a great setup, it, uh, it brought all the characters back to life and, and really told stories that people weren't necessarily aware of from the beginning.
1: Yeah, I love seeing the old Pippin footage. And I I, I was struck by how vulnerable Michael became during parts of one and two. You know, like the, the letter, when his mom's reading that letter back, that was real for him. Like, I, I, he probably hadn't seen or heard that letter in decades. And so for him to experience that with his mom of all people must have been a a really wonderful moment and we got to go in and feel that and feel what he felt and then take we got to visualize you know him riding that in his dorm in Chapel Hill and see Dean Smith who was just this wonderful man and you know legend of the four corner offense which <laughs> basically changed basketball for and 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 helped with the shot clock to see Dean Smith tell Michael after his junior year, you got to go. That was really, really special.
0: Yeah, I thought that was nice of him and and kind of shows you what type of person he was. I've heard a few stories like that where the coach kind of steps in and says, you have to go pro. And that just shows you that they're always looking out for the betterment of the player, especially in this case, when you have arguably the best player uh, in college basketball playing and you encourage him to leave. I think uh, Beheim did the same thing for Melo. Um, I've heard stories about Coach Cal telling players to go pro when they wanted to go yeah, back. Yeah, me too. Uh, Coach Kane and Zion. Zion is another player who wanted to go back to school. So that kind of shows you that, you know, these these coaches, in some cases, and circumstances, they actually do care about the players. And one of the things I really liked, before we get into, like, some debating on some of the stuff they shared involving uh, Jerry Krause, one of the things I really liked. Um, great point. Great point, Joe. Shaq. At LSU, Shaq wanted to go back to school as well. So that was a good one. But I think one of the things I really liked uh, about the story was how Jordan talked about the final play at North Carolina his freshman year, how the other team was in his zone, Georgetown was in his zone, and most of their focus wasn't going to be on him. Most of their focus was on James Worthy. Exactly. So James basically gave himself up as a decoy and Dean Smith was smart enough to say, "Hey, let's swing the ball around, and uh, when the ball comes back, Mike, be ready to shoot." You know, you, you're relying on your freshman uh, to hit arguably the biggest shot in the history of North Carolina basketball, and it was a designed play. And a lot of people probably didn't realize that that was that was the shot that they wanted—an open 17-footer with Mike shooting
1: it. Yeah, what's great? There's so much to unpack there. For one, Dean Smith, and I talked about the four corners. He had been criticized for so long because he couldn't win a championship. They got really close and they just kept falling short. And for him to turn to Michael Jordan, a freshman, albeit a great one, and say this is your time. 65, 70,000 people in the Superdome. And then for James Worthy, who was probably the best player in the country that season with Patrick Ewing, for him to say, "I'm going to give up, I'm going to give up the ball." and allow Mike to hit a game winner potentially and allow him to have this moment was incredible it was the whole thing the way they set that up that one picture of CJ of him releasing the ball with the background yeah that was cool it was, it was magical and that was the beginning in many ways of Michael Jordan as as we know it and then to hear Mike say that gave me the confidence to be Michael Jordan,
0: not Mike Jordan anymore. It's crazy how those little instances and moments can shape your life and the future of your your life and what you believe in. Mike became a killer. He was still good. He was progressing. He was saying that he was going to be all these things, but he didn't necessarily believe it. Then he hits the game winner in the national championship game and his confidence begins to rise. He begins to really believe some of the things that he's saying. And I think that's important to realize. There's a lot of athletes who go through that, who am I stage, trying to figure out who they are as a player. Like, am I what I think I am? And then you start to get results in the game. Your work ethic and the results kind of align and meet up. And then you become super confident. I think that's what happened uh, with Michael. He began to become extremely confident in his abilities. And I think for James... To be that selfless kind of shows you what type of person he was and he even said it in the beginning of the last dance show showing he said uh i was better than michael for about two weeks (laughs) like basically (laughs) i seen it i watched him play and i said wow uh this this kid is special and for him a hall of famer to to say that and and come to terms with that that early on kind of shows you what type of person he was he didn't fight it he embraced it
1: you know that it's a great point see because Every player, all these great players, all-time players, all said the same thing. Whether it was Bird in the 86 series that we got to see when when Michael averaged about 44 points a game on 51% shooting. Crazy. And then Magic saying he's the most talented player in the league by far. They all saw it before – I don't want to say before Michael saw it, but in a way – Maybe before he really knew just how good he could become.
0: Yeah. They they seen it early on just because of his explosiveness. Even his rookie year with the Bulls. Say after a few practices, they realized this kid is special. Like we we drafted the right player. And look at Jordan's numbers early on. Like Jordan didn't take a three-pointer his freshman year in college. He didn't take a three-pointer his junior year. He shot forty-two percent his sophomore year. So Jordan was still kind of figuring the game out. I think he averaged twelve points or thirteen points with the fifteen. And then, or 12, 15, 19, or 12, 19, something like that, to where he wasn't a dominant score. He averaged, like, 19, 20 points per game. Goes to the NBA and averages 28 as a rookie. Like, his his game continued to evolve each year. It took leaps and leaps to the point where he was averaging 36, 37 a night, uh, facing double teams, which is crazy. And what I told my friends was that in some of these games, they're scoring 85 points, 90 right, points. Exactly. They had a hundred points one game. He had 49 of them. Like he, he scored 38 out of 85, 40 out of 85. That shows you low low amount of possessions. The pace is slow, and he's still dominating. And he had 49 and 63 in the garden with no three pointers attempted.
1: I would be curious to see his his double nickel game when he 55 in the garden, what what the threes were in that game. Because you know what, CJ, like the game, if you go back and 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 we could see it in a to a degree with highlights, but if you go back and really watch basketball in the nineties and then in the eighties, you know, it's it's like an entirely different game. The court is so condensed, the possessions are so measured, and every, every bucket seems like it's tough to get. You know, the players just they weren't they weren't as talented, and it's hard to score. And uh he was he was a magician. He was so far ahead of his time. And to hear him also talk about what it was like coming back from that injury, that ankle injury, when he, when he broke his foot his second year. And the story about Reinsdorf, the owner of the Bulls, telling him, Michael, I don't think you're understanding the, 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 the danger of the situation, the magnitude. Right. You had, he said, if you had a headache and nine pills out of ten would have cured it, but the other one would have killed you, what would you do? And Michael said, depends how how bad the headache was right that, that that mentality like that killer mentality and then for him to come back and drop 63 in the boston garden on the world champion celtics it was unheard
0: of it's crazy all the stories and little anecdotes we get from this the last dance it's like a basketball player and a basketball fan or admire a follower's dream to be able to get all these small stories and one of the things before we like move forward and kind of debate some of the stuff that happened, it's crazy the the tension that, that that team had. like looking back on it, I don't think I realized how fragile that situation was there. like there was a lot of animosity between Jerry, between Phil, between Mike, between Scotty, between ownership. There was a lot going on there to the point where now we're hearing stories about how they were trying to break the team up before 98 before that season, I think 94, 95. And Jerry essentially allowed him to keep going. But the fact that he told Phil, and, and may he rest in peace because he's no longer here to defend himself. So it's kind of hard to to not get both sides. But he told Phil, I don't care if you go 82 and oh, this will be your last season. That's crazy. That's uh, that's crazy. And I, I like how Phil approached it as the last dance with the way he kind of shaped that season. and. It's going to be really interesting to see, like, Rodman's side of things, like Rodman asking for a vacation in the middle of the season. Like, just to hear some of those stories, I think this is going to make everything that much more fun to watch and enjoy and put, so, put the story together. Yeah,
1: I have a couple an- anecdotes to add. One about Robin, which is going to be great because he's going to be the featured guy in parts three and four, I believe, like 90 95%, he said. But Jerry, we knew Jerry Krause was going to be a focal point of the negativity in The Last Dance because we had heard the stories. We knew he wanted to to break them up. He didn't want Phil back. MJ had made it abundantly clear he wouldn't play for anyone but Phil, so therefore, after 98, that was it. But, CJ, a couple of things. I, I, I was at the 97 final, 96-97 finals in Seattle with Chicago versus the Sonics. And, you know, I was a kid, obviously, but... If you would have told me, or I think anybody at the time that wasn't really privy to it, that they had all this inner turmoil, specifically with, with Scotty, Michael thinking Scotty was selfish, the GM, the head coach trying to hold it all together. It it was like, I don't know how you function with that, let alone thrive and win a championship. So it was um it was really interesting to see how they were able to sift through it and how Michael had to hold it all together given that Scotty was his guy. I mean, as as Rodman said, and I think he was right. At that point, he was the second or third best player in the league. It was like Scotty, Hakeem,
0: Mike, you know, Peyton. I mean, it was, those were the guys. Yeah. Malone. It's interesting to see how Jordan kept it together, how Phil kept everything together. And they kept a lot of this behind closed doors. Obviously, social media has changed uh, since the 98 season. But the fact that there was – they were, they were honestly dysfunctional. They were a dysfunctional team with a lot of issues at hand to the point where Scotty's cursing out Jerry in public. Like, that's a huge— In public for everyone to see like it was nothing. That's a huge, huge problem, and I'm surprised they, they honestly got through that season— Scotty demanded a trade I I knew Scotty wanted out But I didn't know he publicly Demanded a trade In the middle of the season Refused to come back Told him that I'm getting surgery And that And I quote I'm not about to F up my summer For you guys (laughs) That is great We
1: were talking about that Can you imagine like Let's say you have an injury CJ And season ends And you just say You know what I know I need surgery. I'm going to wait till October to get it.
0: That was calculated and that was a big that was a big decision uh for him to make and it's funny it's ironic that it it came down to this because I remember you know researching after the uh the last dance and and seeing some some insights as to what really led to that. The ownership group essentially told him you're not going to be happy with the deal. Halfway through you're going to feel like you're underpaid. It's not a great deal for you. If I were you, I wouldn't sign it. And he basically wanted that security for his family, you know, coming from a town of 3,500 people. It made sense for him to, to look at the median salary of where he was at. You know, he, when he signed the deal, he was like, what, the sixth highest paid player in the NBA at that time. He was behind Jordan and a few other guys. And then the NBA landscape shifted and he was already locked into a seven-year, $18 million deal. So I think Scotty, at the end of the day... He was mad at the circumstances situation. He's averaging 26 and 5. They had just three peated. You know, so he's looking like, hey, let's just renegotiate this deal. I want to be here longer. And they're thinking, like, no, you agreed to this. This is contractually what you have to play for, regardless of circumstances. And uh, Scotty won long term. He ended up making over 100 million. It's funny, he made more basketball on court money than Mike did. It's just that uh, Mike had a lot yeah, right? of interest in Nike and other, and other avenues that allowed him to become a billionaire.
1: Well, it was, it was 18 million over seven. And he was the, this is per the doc, he was the 122nd highest paid player in the league and the sixth highest paid player on the Bulls. So he had every right to be upset, but he should not have signed that contract, given the circumstances.
0: Yeah, he, I mean, you can say that, you can say that he shouldn't have signed it. It was a bad deal for Scotty to be locked into in seven years, but you're talking about a kid who's coming from a situation to where yeah. he, he was the equipment manager. And you telling him I he's gonna get eighteen million dollars guaranteed and a seven year deal. That's like a long term deal. No matter how you perform, you got guaranteed bread. So I think he was looking back on it. He probably was like, eh, I could have, I could have, you know, probably taken a two or three year deal. But who's to say everything would have worked out well? Like if he gets an injury in between that time, his value definitely would have would have gone down. Scott Piffin. Scott Pippin. That's that's a bar. He was named Scott Pippin. That's actually hilarious. And he, he he had earned the name Scotty. One uh one more
1: antidote. You you talked about Rodman wanting you know, time to himself. Did I ever tell you the story? And I'm pretty sure I haven't, and I don't think I've ever shared this publicly, but did I ever tell you the story, CJ, about Rodman coming to our house in the early two thousands, wanting to come back? No, I don't think I don't think I remember you telling me that. This, this story, I've kept this story pretty close to the vest, but there's no, and re- it, it's never going to be a better time to tell it than now. When 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 we had when we had the team, the Sonics, in the early 2000s, um, we got approached. My dad got approached from Dennis Rodman's agent, saying Dennis was interested in coming back and playing for the Sonics. So naturally, we took the meeting here, where I am right now, and. Rodman comes to the house, okay? Comes up, comes
0: up. <laughs> I'm already laughing.
1: My, my my Pops is not a big tattoo guy, right? He I remember he turns to me, he says, so many tattoos. <laughs> I said, Dad, you just gotta, you just gotta put blinders on. He he can help us. You know, it's Dennis Rodman. It's the worm. And he's still in great shape. Dennis was a relentless worker. That that's another part of this. Like people didn't know how hard he worked. But he was in great shape still. He'd been on the league, I think he'd been on the league three, four years. So he comes over and he says uh, really interested in playing. And my dad's like, "Okay, yeah, well we we we'd potentially love to have you. And you know, we think you could really be an enforcer for us and we need a physical presence. So what's, you know, let's let's really think about this." And Dennis said, "But there's only uh, there's one there's one condition." And my dad, what, what, "What is it, Dennis?" He goes, "Um, and I I don't know the exact terms of this cuz it's literally been almost 2 decades. So I'm I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But he says uh, I'd love to play." But I only do it if I can get about three months off during the season, and I'll come back before the playoffs ready to roll. And my dad said, "What? You want to you want to take months off? I think it was months, like two, three months." And he said, "Yeah, I'll come back. I'll be in great shape, and uh, you know, then I can alternate games, and I'll be ready to go for the playoffs."
0: My <laughs> dad said, just that's, get out. This is crazy. He wanted months off during the season.
1: I think he wanted months off with stipulation that, like, he might come back and play three, four games and then take another few weeks off, a month off here and there. But he wanted to play a, a, a fraction of the actual 82 game schedule with the thought that he would be really ready to go for the postseason, which was a big no in the Schultz household. And I remember pleading with my dad, being like, who cares? It's Dennis Rodman. Just bring him on board. And he was like, "No, it's we, 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 no way we
0: could do that." That's crazy that he actually asked for that. I think it's even crazier that he asked for he asks for a vacation in the middle of the season with the Bulls and was granted it. I'm I'm under the impression that they gave him those tour those 48 hours, which is even crazier for them to be like, "You know what, Dennis, you need your time. Just go. Go ahead. Take two days off. Miss this game for personal reasons." And. uh We'll figure out how to how to get you flu-like back. symptoms, <laughs> like Jordan's flu game. Uh, Dennis well. Jordan,
1: you know, Jordan's flu game
0: wasn't the flu;
1: it was food poisoning.
0: Yeah, food poisoning. I heard he I heard he was hung over. Well, th-
1: there's that theory too. But the real the the theory that I've heard that might hold the most water is that at three o'clock in the morning, you want a steak. Steak gets delivered in his room. He's immediately sick. He's sick the whole day. Put an IV in him. And that's kind of where like the flu thing came because he had a big fever, but regardless, he obviously was sick. He might have been hungover too. Who knows? Yeah, I like it. I like it. Last question for me for, to you on this topic is: if you were hungover, not crazy hungover, but if you were hungover, could you still be an effective? Could you still have an effective NBA game like fifteen and four? Yeah, easy. You you said it like you've already done it. No, it's <laughs>
0: I've never done it. I don't drink during the season. I know, I know. Besides wine. We're gonna definitely get to some fan questions that were submitted to us on social media and the community app. That's coming up after the break. Stay tuned.
2: Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash audio. Visit IXL.com slash audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
0: Let's find those questions, ask those questions, and answer those questions. Yeah, What do we got? We got some good ones, I heard. All right, via pull-up pod on Instagram. Okay, this is from Nokurum. What was going through your mind in game seven against the Nuggets? Um, I was just thinking we need to win this game, um, go be yourself, be aggressive. Make sure you you know, leave, leave everything you have on the court so that when you go home, you can be confident that uh, you did your best to help the team win. That was my mindset mentality. And I think I did all those things and I wasn't worried about failing. This is a good one for you too, Jordan. From Il Quentin, are there any purchases that have given you buyer's remorse? Yes,
1: but you go first.
0: Buyer's remorse. Um, Okay, this is easy. So when when we first got the dog, Fifi, I was ordering cages on Amazon for her. But all the cages were talking about a month, so I ordered two. And they both came at the same time, and they're huge cages. I only need one. So buyer's remorse in the second cage. Basically I'm gonna drop this cage back off at the uh, Oregon dog rescue and they're gonna have an extra cage uh, for oh, whoever nice. whoever purchases a large dog.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Love that. Um, I got, I mean, I got a few. One would be, when I first graduated college, I went and bought a suit for, my, for myself and I thought it was like a really cool suit. I wanted to be different because I was just getting one. And I bought, the suit was like it was kind of like brown with like silver pinstripes. Brown with <laughs> silver. And I, I, rem- I remember at the time I told the guy, I want it to be like a great Gatsby suit. And he said, okay, yeah. And when I got it, CJ, I remember putting it on and my wife or girlfriend at the time just said, no. <laughs> and I spent
0: way too much on it. And I think I might've worn it once. And it was like great Gatsby. So it was a flashy, like it was so bad. Formal, di- formal dinner type of suit. Yeah, it was terrible. I gave it away. He said he gave it away. <laughs> All right, another one. Uh, best moment as a blazer. Best moment as a blazer would be going to the Western Conference Finals. I think that was a cool moment. Uh when we when we won in, in the on the road in game seven and then being able to play in the conference finals and be that close to playing in the actual finals was was cool. Were you a fan of the jail Blazers? I was a huge fan of the jail Blazers. They had a lot of guys that could hoop, sheed, mighty mouse. The list goes oh, on you know. and on and on. A lot of a lot of players who uh, played with Flash, played with Swagger, played with charisma. Man, everybody, everybody was, you know, they they had their personality. You know, Zebo. There were so many players that were a part of, you know, some of those great great years of technicals, technical fouls, Sheed, playing in the uh, forces. Those were some really dope moments. This is a good one for you too. This is from some someone on the community app. Who, in your opinion, are some of the best young players in the NBA? Obviously, you got the Bookers, Donovan Mitchell's, those guys. But uh, I like Shea. Uh, he's he's good. He's gonna be uh, he's gonna be special. Um, I like. Colin Sexton, I think he played a lot better this season. He was more efficient, more effective. He's stringing together some nice games um, in Cleveland. Uh, I'm not sure what they're going to do with those two guys. They're going to keep them together or not, but they're they're in a a good position in terms of young talent and youth.
1: Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's so many good ones, you know, like Er Obvious, Tatum, Doncic. I like Fox a lot. You mentioned Shea. Um, I mean, Aiden played... Really, really well for Phoenix when he was in the lineup. Like he was one of the best centers in the league for basically a month. So I like him a lot. Um, and h- him and Devin could be really interesting together. What are we forgetting? I mean Zion Ingram. Yep that that core is is tough. Lonzo's there. Um, we like Atlanta's young guys.
0: Yeah, Trey Young and all of those guys. The the shooter. You got Kevin Herter is really good. You got Hunter. You got reddish, they got a lot of talent they're gonna be they're gonna be a problem for some years to come once they figure everything out. I think I'll do one more favorite road arena to play in. That's a great question. I got two for you. I love playing at Memphis mm. because Memphis is is where I you know first started really playing especially in the playoffs and they uh they've helped they've helped my career a great deal um based on how I performed in those playoffs gave me a chance to start the next year, so I'm forever grateful. And I also love playing in the garden. The garden is special. The atmosphere, regardless of their record, is always a great time. And um, the fans are always locked in and involved in the game. What, what's your favorite arena to watch a game Yeah, of?
1: I'd be remiss, by the way, if I didn't mention our guy, Tyler Hero, friend of the show.
0: It's friend of the show, for sure. Nice jump uh, shot. We, we, we like TH a lot.
1: Um, favorite arenas, love the garden. Barclays is cool. It's not that loud, but it's like a very clean, like fun atmosphere. Uh, Staples is fun. Portland's—I am- mean, I love Portland. Yeah, um, it's jumping. The old—I'll tell you what—that's really underrated. The old Arco Arena in Sac. I remember going to a playoff game there in the early 2000s, and it was unreal. It wasn't very nice. It wasn't that big, but it was really loud and really fun. Um, San Antonio. It's not that loud, but like there, there's a. It's such a random place to have an NBA NBA team, and it's it's fun. It's a fun place.
0: Yeah, San Antonio. It is. It's unique. The Riverwalk. You have all of that there, and their fans, especially when they go on runs, especially when they were, you know, Ginobili, Duncan, Tony. Mm-hmm. It used to get so loud in there when they were going those runs. It was cra- it was crazy. This is a good one. If you could join a team from any era, which would it be and why? Napa George won. Ooh, a good one. Wow. I might go to the Cavs team that lost to the Bulls. Oh, yeah. That team was really good. The Cavs team that lost to the really Bulls. Really good team. Craig they had e- a lot of
1: guys. Craig Elo. Poor Craig Elo. He had just hit the go-ahead go shot in that game. Um... How about the how about well I was gonna say the 90s Bulls, but that's too obvious. Maybe, maybe the 90s Knicks. They could have used another guard. You and Starks? 90s Knicks would have been cool.
0: Sacramento Kings, the Bib, uh yeah, the, the, I was Bibby, thinking that. the Bibby era. That wouldn't have been no, not a bad idea. How about the Suns with Nash? Ooh, that'd been fun. The Suns with Nash would have been cool. So there's there's some some situations and eras where you're like, ah, I would have liked to play in that era. That would have been cool to, to go up against those guys and, and go head to head.
1: Let me follow up with. Which legendary big would you have rather played with? Shaq or Kareem?
0: In this era, Shaq. Yeah. In the old in another era, Kareem. You can't go wrong because with either one, but Shaq is just so big and physically imposing. Just dunks everything. But Kareem's skill set is unmatched. One more before I have to go. If one retired Blazer could join the current team, who would you pick?
1: Woo. Oh, that's tough.
0: That is a great one. I would go. I would go Walton or Clyde. Geoff Petrie is a sleeper, though.
1: I got a sneaky one for you. Either Terry Porter or you said Clyde. What about, wasn't Pippin a blazer?
0: Scotty was a blazer. Yeah. Scotty was a blazer. He definitely would have helped.
1: Cue the wine music. I got the relic Pino, CJ relic pinot from california i sent it to you and uh, it was a gift from a from some friends and one of whom was a sommelier and she said it was great value you're gonna love it and we did it was about 60 bucks 70 bucks depending on the year and they have some higher ones but man it was uh it was great value i don't have my vivino app i don't have it in front of me so i can't give you the tannin structure or alcohol content but r-e-l-i-c
0: relic really good pinot that's a good one. I've been drinking Solder because my Solder shipment just came in, so I'm going to be switching over to Adel Simon and switching back over to some of my local favorites from the Willamette Valley once my Blizzard package gets in. But I had a Pinot Pinot Noir Rosé from Solder, and it was special. It was special. It had a great flavor profile. You could drink it with food or without food. In the sun or in the rain, it wouldn't matter. It would still taste good. Um, went down smooth. They have some of the best uh, rosé and and champagne that I've tasted. Uh, And I'm not a big champagne rosé guy, but it was special. I would highly recommend it. So it was
1: sparkling rosé? It was a
0: Pinot Noir rosé. Sounds amazing.
1: That's soda. man. So sodas I didn't even know they made that.
0: It was sensational. But we want to thank all our listeners for tuning in faithfully. We will be working on something special for next week. So stay tuned, stay locked in. Please continue to follow the pull-up podcast and send us feedback. Please subscribe, Apple radio.com backslash pull up with CJ or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull, pull up. up.